You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2309 North Broad Street. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday evenings at 5 and 7 p.m. Do you guys know what started uh, this last week? That's right. Yeah, I can, can we talk about football for a second? If you say no, I'm still going to do it. So this is kind of, remember when I said not, that we're not doing the coercive thing? That's, this is kind of the antithesis of that. Just for a moment. Okay, I know. It's not everyone's favorite thing. Thank you for indulging me. I was hanging out with some good friends a few weeks ago. And, and a Patriots fan piped up. Yeah, I had the same reaction. And told me he's not very interested in the NFL this season. And of course I thought, well, yeah, it's because you're a sore loser. But then I got to thinking, and on, this, on the eve of the new NFL season, I, I, I kind of feel a little disenchanted myself. You know, I'm very unhappy with how uh, the whole league is being managed. You know, I'm sorry for how the players who are kneeling to protest racial injustice and police brutality are being treated. I'm disturbed at the domestic abuse and violence that the NFL turns a blind eye to. And in, in the sheer violence of the sport is perturbing. You know, I don't have any sons. I have two daughters. Pres- they could play football, I guess, if they wanted, but I don't think they will for some reason. But if I had boys, I think that the chances of them wanting to play are a little bit higher. Is that okay to say you think that's a fair, fair judgment? But I wouldn't want them to play. Because I think it's a little too, you know, head knocking. There's too much crashing of skulls. And, you know, it's not good for your brain, really. So that whole thing kind of bums me out. And another friend commented and said, well, maybe you just got your fix. Because last February... The Eagles won their first Super Bowl ever. Remember this moment? This was this was my moment. Okay, I was uh, I was I was a little in a, a moment of ecstasy as this thing happened because I'm a big Eagles fan. Some of you know, like I call sports talk to offer my opinions about things, and I remember I sat there on the floor. This is in my house. And I was very anxious seconds before this went down. And then afterwards, I kept looking at the clock just to make sure it was zeroed out. Because I didn't even think this was possible. And really high excitement. But then someone said, maybe you're tired of winning. You know, we have an identity. We have a culture as Philadelphia sports fans about losing. It means something to us. We like being losers. Do you remember uh, there's the, the Eagles center on their, on their offensive line, a guy named Jason Kelsey, um, gained popularity when he had like a pro wrestling style speech that he gave at the parade, which I brought my daughter to. It wasn't really appropriate for my daughter, who is five, but she, she, she didn't really know what was happening. You know, she can do the chant. She can spell Eagles. And he was celebrating the fact that nobody likes us. This is how he dressed. He dressed like a mummer. So there's a lot of problems with what was happening. And he was saying, yeah, nobody likes us. And we don't care about that. We're happy to be underdogs. 
You know, Philadelphia sports, in a sense, has been, we've been enculturated to be losers. And we have like a hunger based on that. And when that culture changes, because of course now we're talking about winning again, and people start throwing around like dynasty, I wonder if we lose who we are. I'm, 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 I'm making a big point here that's ho that will eventually tie into something helpful for you. So I know so far it hasn't been. But, you know, I, I wonder if we lose who we And one editor, this, this story came out last, last week, where he said, their win makes me, makes me miss losing. This was right in Philly.com. So this is a local story. Can you imagine that? And then he wrote, when the, clock t when the clock ticked down to zero on February 4th, I hugged my dad, my son, the stranger, <laughs> ran into my house waving an eagle's flag. This, these kind of things happened. And then some part of me realized that no future Super Bowl victory would ever feel as good. I had reached nirvana, inner eagle's peace, and the hunger was gone almost instantly. We still want to be losers. We, we lost a part of the, the culture when we won. And according to this author, yes, maybe even me too. You know, there's something about that drive that we like. Here's another sport. There's a guy named uh, Reese Hoskins. Anyone know that name? He's a slugger on the fills. Okay, so this is a more... Uh, I prefer baseball in some ways. He tweeted this after ESPN didn't rank the fills in, the, in their top 10 of their power rankings. So then Brother Reese over here says, remember what happened the last time a Philly sports team was the underdog? He's talking, we have this idea, we want to be that way. We like being treated that way. It's part of our culture. Yeah, ignore us. And that, that gives us drive. That's what he's working with. You know, I'm not really saying much with this illustration beyond the fact that the culture that we're in matters to us. And we sometimes can influence it. And sometimes it can influence us. You know, who would have thought that after all these years of desperately trying to win, we'd missed losing? How's that even possible? How much control do we have over our culture? And how much... Does it control us? That's the question I'm working with. Circle of Hope has always had a, a good tension, I think, between these two poles that I'm going to draw as straw people here. The prophet and the evangelist. Some of you like the word prophet. You want to be a prophet. And you, oh, evangelist sounds stressful. I don't want to be that. I'd rather be prophetic. There's a good tension between, because the evangelist tries to bring Christianity to the present, to the culture that we live in, adapting it and flexing it, making it work. Anyway, a good one, if you ask me, they do that. But the prophet asks questions about the culture. So we want to bring the gospel to the present with great flexibility. We want to be at home in our time and place. But we also want to create a prophetic alternative. The culture matters. So I want to talk about the alternative culture we're forming in Circle of Hope even over the next like four weeks. And, and, and one that fits, one, it's one that fits in the culture we find ourselves, 
but is also quite distinct from it. So one book I want to work through with you, I don't know if you can see this, it's uh, Walter Brueggemann's Prophetic Imagination. Has anyone ever heard of this? Some of you, who, if you went to like a cool Christian college, they might have even assigned it. Does this happen to you? Did you read it? Did you do the course reading? I recommend, do the course reading in general. It's good for you. Did you have to read it? Huh. We have a lot of Messiah people here. I guess they don't assign it at Messiah. Walter Brueggemann's prophetic imagination. Brueggemann's an Old Testament scholar who has a penchant for prophecy. How Jesus used it, how the Old Testament prophets used it, and what we're going to do with it now. And, and the hardest reason for Americans to grasp a prophetic imagination, a prophetic alternative, is because of how we've been enculturated. We're used to losing, in a sense. Brueggemann says that our consumer culture is organized against history. The prophet calls us back to history. This isn't a call to traditionalism, necessarily, but a call to uh, criticize the current era and energize the believers to create a new way that, that uh, reappropriates the memory of the past. We take what was and bring it to fullness today, maybe even in a new way. Brueggemann says, I don't have Brueggemann's quote. You'll have to remember this. The task of the prophetic ministry is to nurture, nourish, and evoke a consciousness and perception alternative to the consciousness and perception of the dominant culture around us. We have a culture that we live in, and the prophet creates something that um, and nurtures something that is an alternative to it. We live in the, in the United States and the Christian communities that we're forming create an alternative from the United States. Are you following that? We're creating an alternative to the social reality we find ourselves in. This is hard to imagine as Americans because our worldview is so dominated by a culture. You know, maybe that's even daunting to you as a statement, overwhelming to you. You know, many of us enjoy the privileges of this culture. And so that doesn't afford us a lot of instinct to resist, right? There's things that you are privileged with, perhaps, in this time and place that benefit you. Alternatively, though, we may not have privileges that we see others flaunt. And so we've organized our lives uh, in order to get those. So do you, do you see how it's two sides of the same problem? Here's the ideal, all these people, have all this power, money, resources, and then the rest of us that don't have any of that, yeah, we want to get that. That's what freedom means. That's what liberation means. We need something new, though. Brueggemann says that the ministry of Moses, here's Moses now, represents a radical social break from the reality of Pharaoh's Egypt. Moses is leading these enslaved Israelites in Egypt and he's creating an alternative that's, that's, that's a break from the social reality of Pharaoh. And the book of Exodus is the story of the Israelites under slavery. They're in Egypt. They long for the promised land and a new way of life. They want something. They want a place to call home. 
It's a major theme in the Old Testament. It was a major theme tonight, as we were singing. Did you catch that? Moses is creating an alternative, but even those, even, even the people that are enslaved find it hard to let go of what was. Even after God crushes the Egyptian army, with the, he crushes the Egyptian army with the Red Sea and frees the Israelites, they grumble. This is from Exodus 17. Someone out loud read this here and see how they pine for Egypt. From the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt? To kill us? To kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? There's something that they... Hey, in Egypt at least they gave us water. I don't know what kind of thing you're running here. It's way worse than where we came from. It's hard to imagine the alternative, because it's hard. It's difficult. You second guess it. So you feel resistant. If you feel resistant, that's okay because it's fairly normal. Moses counters Pharaoh's reality in several ways. If you read the whole book, you'll see that the gods of Pharaoh and the God of Israel are in a little competition. And each one of the, as, as uh, God keeps telling through Moses to Pharaoh, let my people go, and there's plague after plague. Each of those plagues kind of counters one of the Egyptian gods because there's something about the God of Israel being triumphant. That's a key part of the story. There's freedom in the God of Israel. So he counters Pharaoh's reality by exposing that the gods of Egypt are inferior to the gods of Israel. Christians do this today by showing that our God triumphs over the gods of, the, of, of whatever surrounds us. You might say the gods of the United States. You know, we don't exactly have those in explicit terms, but you can imagine things that people in this culture really value and really worship. The gods that we have today are just facades for political power, and they aren't true. At the same time, Moses counters the politics of uh, um, the, the, the Pharaoh's politics of oppression with politics of justice and compassion. In those two this new way of enacting justice and being compassionate work with the freedom of God. Brueggemann says that sometimes so-called liberals, which some of you are, lean toward the compassion and justice. And other of you, others of you, maybe the conservatives, if you will, kind of move with this freedom of God. There's something about that that you find valuable. They both work together. They're connected to each other. In freeing the Israelites, God wasn't just promising liberty, but a whole new way of being. It wasn't just a matter of social action that freed them. There was something new that God was creating in the world. Moses' alternative um, both criticized and energized. And the beginnings of the criticism of the social reality of Egypt happened with crying out, with grieving in song, in protest. And that's not nothing in God's eyes. You can see this in Exodus 3. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. This is before they're free. 
and I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings. He hears their cry. He hears their grumbling. And I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land filled with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. God is going to deliver them to a new land and he hears their cry. If we're not careful, rather than cry out about all the problems that we experience ourselves and in the world, we get numb to it. There's something prophetic about just feeling the pain and saying, yeah, it's really hard right now. And some of you feel that way now in your life. Personally, what's happening in you is hard. And you might think crying out doesn't do anything. And you might even go bigger than that because you're afraid of what's happening in the world. And you think there's something concrete happening. Crying out doesn't do anything. No, it alerts people. The prophet isn't numb. The prophet feels. And Moses energizes the community when they worship together. They praise God as, as distinct from the imperial gods. And that's, even though that song that they're singing doesn't change reality, it casts a vision for something new. They grieve and they criticize and they celebrate and envision something new together. This is the song they were singing, the song of Moses that he sang after they were freed. Then Moses and the Israelites sang the song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my might, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father is God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. We're kind of a peace-loving people. At least I think we are most of the time. And it can be hard to imagine why we would celebrate a warrior God. If you think of yourself as in captivity, as a slave, some of this language works out a lot easier. You know, some of you don't like to do that because you feel like you're the one in power. And so it's hard for you to even relate to a God like this and say, this is a song praising God and uh, God's triumph over evil. You're... You, you're, you kind of live in like this pseudo-post-Christian empire. So our context is a lot different. It's hard to read the Old Testament for that reason. But this energizing reality is casting a new vision forward that's exciting the people of Israel. Something new is happening. Our minds are colonized, are changed to the point of thinking that all of that work is immaterial. Without... Uh, Matter, if you will. Like matter, like stuff, but it doesn't mean anything either. That if we don't modify the empire or the state we find ourselves in, we haven't done anything. Your song isn't good enough that cries out for something new because you haven't changed anything. You know, you haven't won an election, you haven't changed any laws, you haven't even voted yet. So what are you going to do? You're not making anything really better, particularly for us. We still don't have health care. So I don't know what you're talking about. Your song didn't really do anything. That's because we think it only matters if you can change how the system works. That the song is useless unless it does that. There's something that the song alone accomplishes. The consumer mentality is far from what Moses is offering. 
and we can actively do something even if it doesn't just create a new uh, political apparatus. Does that make sense? So Israel is actually threatened by that prophecy and they move in another direction. The story of Israel continues and they ask for a king because they want to be like the other nations. Have you ever heard this? And they begin to mess with the Moses of formula where God is leading them. Now they're asking for a king and God grants them a king in what's called the united monarchy. First you have Saul, then you have David. David who is like, they think like the best king and even Jesus came from David. But then you have Solomon. And by the time Solomon came, the mosaic, mosaic is a word for, it's an adjective that describes Moses. So Moses' vision for Israel is so fundamentally altered that it just seems idealistic to even imagine. When we're thinking about it today, it might seem impractical. So lofty, so different, so different than what we have here that it doesn't really work together. It might feel like how you feel today. The faith the Israelites had for God provides them with things, right? They had manna, which was like a sort of like a sweet bread that came from heaven. For a while, there was quails in the mix. They had uh, water. That's undone by the uh, material affluence of Israel. They get rich and they lose their uh, faith that God will provide for them. The faith of Israel that used to be in God is now in all the stuff they have. In order to maintain this affluence, Solomon has an oppressive social power. He actually forces labor. He has slaves. Didn't you free us from slavery? Now you have slaves and something worse happens. His court has extravagant needs that need to be maintained by forced labor. So again, he's undoing this mosaic vision. And the faith that Israel used to have is being undone further. And to add insult and injury, injury, he makes God less accessible. God now is only accessible in the royal court and he's only accessible and only nurtures the royal court's needs. He only exists for the royal purposes. So Solomon was able to counter completely the counterculture of Moses. The economics of equality are undone by the economics of affluence. The politics of justice are undone by a politic of oppression. You have a lot of stuff, and now you have slaves, and then the, religious, the, the religion of God's freedom is limited with this religion of God's um, accessibility or inaccessibility. Hard to relate to God because you have to relate to the king in the king's court to touch God. The whole movement is changing. And this is what he's talking about in this book. He is saying the prophet is awakening you to what used to be because you've lost your imagination for what could happen because you have your own little nice uh, uh, kingdom called Israel now and you have no more reliance on God. The reason this is noteworthy for us today is because it takes imagination for us to see this, how this, it takes just a little bit of imagination for you to see how this royal tradition works itself out now. 
Wouldn't you agree that the current royal tradition, if you will, how the United States works makes it easy for us to ignore the cries of the hungry, the cries of the oppressed, one that reduces, in fact, the banishment of God to a spiritual or psychological problem? The basic, this, this basic introduction that I'm giving you to the Mosaic community and the undoing of that community via Solomon, I hope can at least pique your interest for a uh, prophetic imagination, one that we're trying to build in Circle of Hope. Our acts of worship and praise are calls for a new reality. Some of you can't get quite down with all the songs we sing. Some of you don't even like singing. But when you imagine these songs as a, as a, as a calling to something new, to pique our prophetic imagination and cast some new vision, maybe you can see them as even practically applicable in the moment. Our laments and protests are criticisms of the evil around us. When you say this isn't right and you say it out loud or you say it to your friend, that's doing something. We rest in the freedom of God in order to help enact justice and compassion, which is what God is authoring in the world. And we resist the royal consciousness of today and create a new vision forward. You know, we're not, this might sound like we're just looking for people who want a revolution. We're not exclusively looking for that. Although, we generally welcome people like that. We're looking for people who want to create a community that's a radical expression of how God is leading us. Not unlike Moses created and I think when we do that, you'll bump up into a lot of resistance, even your own Solomons. And so the world is going to counter our counter, but we should keep singing, keep grieving, and keep building the thing we have here. And social action is part of that work, but it's the result of it. It's not the sum of it. We're creating a new culture, and it takes work because of how we've been enculturated. We're used to how things work. It's hard to change. But if you see every little action of worship, of participation, the little communities that we have called cells throughout the week as little um, new alternatives to how the world is working, I hope that deepens your faith and your hope that we can do something under the shadow of the empire that's distinct, that's different, that gives people hope. I think we're off to a pretty good start, and I think we can do it together. There are people who uh, have this experience, who feel the kind of oppression that we're talking about, but can't name it in such certain terms. They know something's wrong with the world, you know, and they're not always talking about Trump or something. Something isn't working. Something is lacking. This whole thing that you're, you're having me work on isn't fulfilling when they have that existential crisis, I think they're looking for uh, God. And I think that God can be experienced in the little communities that we have, and I think we can do it together. So for the next few weeks, we'll be working with Brueggemann, hopefully sharpening our prophetic imaginations. Let's say a prayer, and then if you have some talk back, we can do that before we uh, conclude our meeting with a little bit. Thank you, Lord, for being here. Help us to become familiar with how our minds, our hearts, our bodies are uh, limited. How 
the current environment we live in might make it hard for us to imagine how you're working and might make our faith feel like a little augmentation to our life, like a little decoration to what it is. May it be something that uh, fundamentally changes how we see the world. Keep expanding our imaginations. Help us to see things in a new way. Amen. So do you have a comment or a question you want to ask about this? Maybe you need something more unpacked, or you have a practical example of how this is working out in your life. If not, that's okay, but this is time for some talk back. Yeah, Jabbar. I like how you said though, how in like um, Exodus, how the people were making themselves um, unavailable to them, like have a relationship with them, and that shows like the worldly treasures over God, basically, and they got enraptured in the idea that they didn't need him. The only time that they needed him is when they were in the courtyard, basically. So how like. Um, Yeah, and that's hard to access. You know, one of the things that keeps... If the powers that be can control how we access God, that makes us a lot less uh, capable. You know, I hate to even say this. If you think you have to come here to access God, that's a problem, right? You have God within you, God among you and around you. That's why we even begin with, how have you seen God? Because you don't come here to experience God. This is a separate thing. You know, certainly I don't hold the keys to God and your access to God. But if you want to collect a lot of power, you can say that. And I think it's important to keep undoing that. Thanks, Jabbar. Is there more you want to share? Like it does, like even though, I guess you're talking about just like the talking and just sort of like, well, what what are you really doing if you're just sort of like speaking out and you're, there's nothing really following it? The empire's still in charge or something like that. But I do find like when I go, uh, you know, thinking even just sort of like rallies or protests or parades or something like that, where like get people together really loud and really boldly kind of crying out for whatever injustice you're kind of working on. It does, you know, it does a lot of things. It, it can shape hearts. It can, maybe the people in, in charge, but it also just brings people together and you kind of can like sort of see you like fellow people. Oh, you also care about this thing too that I wouldn't have, uh, you know, and you make kind of relationships like that, which wouldn't have happened if you were just sort of like maintained within yourself the whole time and, and didn't cry out. Yeah, and if you can imagine, I hope that you don't diminish the community too much. Because when we're facing great evils in the world, being understood and being listened to, even in our little context, counts a lot. You know, a safe place where you're heard. Um, where people are sensitive to you, they think about you, they care about you, they try to uh, even change how they talk, how they act. That little community that you create is a, could be a, a breath of uh, fresh air for somebody. 
because they know when they go back out there, it's going to be terrible. Something bad will happen to them. Someone will hurt them. In, maybe even you know, injure them, insult them, isolate them. You know, it might be hard to change how your boss acts. It might be hard to change how your boss acts in our whole economic system. But can we create a little alternative here that gives people hope? And can the solidarity in crying out against evil give people hope? Can, the, the, can that work? Is that a practical end? You know, even if the whole world's going to hell in a handbasket. You know, I think so. I think that's worth it. And that's hard to, I think we have to keep saying that. Because the forces we're up against are bigger than we are. You know, and if the only uh, hope that we have is conquering them, we have a problem. You know, the narrative goes, when Israel tried to do that, when they became their own, uh, when they had their own kings, it didn't work out well for them. The opposite happened. Solomon started oppressing people, right? Uh, maintaining his extravagance and limiting God. A whole different thing happened. You know, one of the reasons that God uses Israel is because it's so incompetent and so small. So, uh, certainly smaller than the competing empires around it. And when it gets into that empire game, bad things follow. So, that's the kind of prophetic imagination that we're talking about. Can you imagine a world that's better, that isn't just improved through, uh, to use like a big word, statecraft? Changing how the government works or something like that. We have a proclivity toward justice-oriented people. Circle of Hope likes that. We collect people like that. So this is an important kind of idea to think about. Because your uh, hope isn't just found in altering the political apparatus, right? And I think that we can forget that. So I'm glad you shared that. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.